Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome back to the podcast as always up to speed with Formula One. It is Friday, February 18th, 2022. I almost said October. I'm living in a time warp, but the good thing is that uh, I'm not living in a time warp. It actually is Friday. That means weekend is here. We're one week closer to the start of the 2022 Formula One World Championship. But before we get to that, time to welcome my friend and co-host, Mr. Mark Hamilton. Hammy, how's it going this week? My friend, thank you for having me. My internship continues for another week. (laughs) Maybe eventually you'll finally sign me up to a permanent contract. I won't be on this week-to-week basis getting these 10-day contracts as I've been for the last 18 months. I'll send the official napkin contract over because we're we're pretty relaxed here, but... I I will take it. I will take a (laughs) napkin contract. My friend... I'm fantastic. I was going to joke that it's been a quiet week in the world of Formula One news. Oh, so quiet, right? The the honest fact is, it's been nothing but, and I was a little bit worried coming into this week that we would end up talking a lot about the Super Bowl and the Mm -hmm. halftime show, but we ain't got no time for those shenanigans (laughs) because there's been so much, despite the fact that, hey, it's been a big week for car launches and we're just a couple of hours away now from the Mercedes Mercedes, launch. Anyone listening at home on Friday, you'll now know what that car looks like. We've had some fantastic car reveals and it was like somebody had said on the Spaces chat tonight, I think, Peter, we've kind of had this crescendo that's been building and building. And as the car launch period's gotten farther and farther along, it's just gotten better and better and better. And it really culminated today with that fantastic Ferrari launch. But aside from that, there's all sorts of other news happening. But I'm doing well. How are you? How's the family? Yeah, everything's good. You know, my, we've all been a little bit under the weather this week, but we're sort of perking up. We're, we're getting back to normal right as the weekend comes in. And it, and it's family day here in BC on Monday. So that means uh, we have a, a long weekend to, to look forward to. So to, to get back to normal, this is exactly the right time. But you said uh, so nicely that, uh, that things have been peaking and crescendoing. The only thing better than the launch of that uh, new beautiful Ferrari, which we'll talk about in a moment, Moment, must be the debut of the beautiful new Hamilton studio, which you're not, you're not flexing at all. I mean, it looks good. You're back where you are. Welcome home. Let's, let's just say welcome home. It looks good. I appreciate it. Looks it. Good. I appreciate it. So it's not done, but I wanted to give a, a little bit of shine. So the vision will be long-term. I finally get the acoustic panels up. I've got a brand new mic here that's arrived. I haven't set it up yet, but I think the vision is I'll probably have a proper camera on a tripod and some good lighting. Got the backdrop, some F1 memorabilia, have some video playing in the background because for my face, if you're watching the live stream, <laughs> that's a, a bit of a joke, but that aside, thank you very much. It's good to be back in the basement, back in the studio after a couple of months, but thanks for the shout out. And of course, the wallpaper is the exact same that you have on your bedroom, which I only know because you posted the photo on Twitter, but I was super excited that I thought I'd found a super unique wallpaper that no one had seen. And 
Turns out your bedroom wall is adorned with it. <laughs> well, I, I think more to the point that uh, that that our wives have some like unspoken mental connection because yes. we we both know where the where the true <laughs> like who who who, who yeah. has the, the the taste in both of these families. It was it's not definitely me. not it was me. Not it's me. Definitely not me when it comes to these sorts of things. Uh, but it, it's looking good. It's looking good. I can't wait till it's done. And now that things are looking up, I mean, we will be able to start recording together again in person really really soon, which is going to be exciting. And uh, looking forward to that. But man, where do we start with the, the the news for this week? There is just so much going on. I, can I, feel can like, I ask a favor? Uh, no, but go ahead. <laughs> uh, so here's what we did. So we had a fantastic Spaces chat tonight. Yep. And obviously there was all sorts of news. But what we decided to do in the Spaces chat, and maybe we can do the same here, is, hey, let's talk about the new cars first. Okay, It's, it's cool. good news. It's fun. There'll be some consensus between the two of us that all of these cars look great. And yeah. then we can get into the heavy lifting that is the FIA and Michael Massey, et cetera. But sure. if you're cool with it, I would really love to start with the cars. And I'm dying because you and I haven't spoken all week. I don't even know what you think of the Ferrari other than the comment you just made. But I would love to really dive into the cars as we've seen sure. them this week. We started Alpha. Alpha Tauri on February 14th, they dropped some digital renders on the 15th. Williams interestingly showed some digital renders and then hours later took the actual car to Silverstone for some filming day adventures. Then Ferrari dropped yesterday and then Mercedes, sorry, Ferrari dropped today and then Mercedes is going to drop tomorrow. From what you've seen this week, the Alpha Tauri, the Williams, the Ferrari would love your initial impressions. Well, I love the livery for the Alpha Tauri. I think it looks so really sleek. But again, just like uh, the big Red Bull team, they just dropped it onto one of the mock-ups. So we, we don't actually know what the real car is going to look like. Um, so, I, I mean, it looks good from what we've seen. But, you know, we, we've seen with the, the, the teams that have actually revealed the true contender, the, the real McCoy, they look a lot different, subtly, but they do look a lot different than those uh, than, than, than the mock-ups that, uh, that Red Bull's been using. The Williams, I love. The, the color combos that, uh, that, they are, that they've used, sort of this two-tone blue with a hint of red on it, and uh, of course a bit of the white trim and for, for the sponsors, I think looks good. The line on the car looks fantastic. It looks like a really, really good car. I guess what, ultimately what really counts is, does it drive? as good as it looks and I'm really hoping for somebody who grew up as a kid cheering for Williams when they were in their heyday this is a team that I have a soft spot for I'm hoping that this is the year that they start climbing back up through through the race order but I love how they teased us uh, first of all was it the end of last week or beginning this week uh, with, with Nikki and Alex kind of uh, they got a look at the, the the livery for the car and they kind of teased it and I think I think Nikki used the same term that he used last year it looks really fresh but I think this year he said he meant it <laughs> something like that I thought it was kind of funny <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just uh, you know, joking aside, I think the Williams looks good. But the Ferrari, I think, has to be the the car that I like the most so far. I mean, it, it looks sleek. It's got a great line. They've gone back to more of that scarlet. They, they they seem to have now that they've you know formally parted ways from whatever guys Philip Morris is taking and that those Marlboro colors. It looks like they've kind of ditched that 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 orangey tint that they've had in the red for so many years. But the Ferrari, I think, it looks it looks 
just wonderful. I mean, at Mugello a couple of years ago, they had like that, that almost that blood red, scarlet for the red that they had. That was like a, a real throwback to like their very, very first days in Formula One 70 years ago or whatever it was. But this, I think, is just the, the color, colors look good. The black and the red. The car itself looks good. And I'm, I'm excited to see how this one does on the track. Yeah, I, I share some of your opinions. I think it's probably too early to pass too much judgment on the sure. Alpha Tower because really all we're seeing is renders. I really did like the color scheme they brought to the track last year. Unfortunately, with <clears> the <throat> wheel covers this year, we're not going to get the white wheels. And I think yeah. big 18-inch matte wheels in white would have looked spectacular, but it's probably a little bit too early to pass judgment on the f design philosophy and, and the aero surfaces. I... <sighs> You know, like you, I, I kind of grew up in the ecosystem that was the Williams support system, simply because Williams were such a big part of British culture in the 80s and the 90s. Sure, and, yeah. And they were obviously very successful. And Jacques Villeneuve won a title as a Canadian in 1997. So obviously, you and I have a lot of linkages to that team. I think since they departed with Martini, they obviously had that splendid Martini livery for a couple of years in yeah, the middle of the turbo hybrid era that looked absolutely phenomenal. Obviously, I think the last couple of years, their design language has really been informed by their sponsors. And I, I think they had less influence over what the car looked like. I, I was hoping for more. And I mean, I, I'm relieved that they've leaned into a shade of blue that's synonymous with Williams. Mm -hmm. I'm very happy that they've kept the FW branding because, of course, that's a linkage to the Williams family. So this is the FW44. I thought the car could have been more spectacular. I think it could have been a little bit more unique, but it's conservative. It's cautious. It's not ugly, but it's also not sensational in the way that the Ferrari is. I think it's a very neat aerodynamic elements to this car. And I think we learned some interesting things this week that, hey, it's going to go with a three element front wing, which I think is the first car that we've seen so far to do that. All of the other cars have a four element front wing, which is kind of interesting. Obviously, it's got that Mercedes power unit for the first time. Williams is actually going to rely on a Mercedes gearbox. So they've always insisted on building their own. And then of course, Williams as well, interestingly have decided that they're going to build their own front and rear suspension. Unlike uh, the Aston Martin team, which is boring the gearbox from Mercedes, but also taking their rear suspension. So I think the Aston, I think the, the Williams is okay, but it's not sensational. The Ferrari is, and I'm not saying this just because they ditched the mission winnow livery, Oh my God, it is sensational. And it's that, that matte. And Charlie brought this up in the live chat or in the spaces chat earlier tonight. They've gone with a matte paint. They've dropped the extra weight associated with that, with that clear coat. It looks absolutely sensational. Now it's rumored that the front nose that it was rocking today isn't necessarily the front nose that's going to show up in Barcelona and Bahrain, meaning that, hey, they've probably got something a little bit different on tap. I love the fact that like the Aston Martin, it's got the louvers along the side. Mm -hmm. I love the top of the side pod and the fact that it caves in on top of itself. I love how wide the side pods are. Everything about this car is absolutely sensational. And based only on having seen these cars in photos so far, my money is on Ferrari to win a championship this year. <laughs> they deserve it just based on the design of this car. And yeah. obviously next week, hopefully we'll have a special guest on that's going to help us dive into the aero philosophy of some of these cars and help us unpack some of the design elements of them. But of the three cars that we've seen this week, the Ferrari is sensational. And I didn't think, I didn't think anyone was going to upset Aston Martin. I thought Aston Martin was going to go into winter testing as the 
absolute crown of the 2022 design challenge. But that Ferrari man, and I keep going back to this word, is simply sensational. And it looks fantastic with those big 18-inch wheel covers. The floor, the side pods, the louvers, everything about this is just menacing. And if there's anything to be said for their design, the aero philosophy is incredibly aggressive, which tells me that they have supreme confidence in the power unit that they're going to be bringing. Mm -hmm. I got to think that this car is going to be a threat from the first race weekend of the year. Yeah, well, I really hope so. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't help uh, but think when we just uh, started talking here, Mark, that if you go back now to, I'm guessing, was it 20, late 2017, early 2018, when they first floated this idea for this this new era, this new design philosophy for the, the Formula One cars, I couldn't help but think that when they, they came out with those renderings, you know, is, is this what th this is going to look like? And of course, Fast forward several years, one pandemic later, here we are. And I must say that now that I've seen these cars in reality, that uh, it, it's really, really exciting. And th this is only, but but it's also at the same time, it's a it's a very big tease because we're only halfway there. We've seen them, but we still need to see them get onto the track. So that's going to be the next thing that uh, we're, we're going to see. And and that's why I guess it's it's a double tease because when they first take to the track at Barcelona at the shakedown a couple of weeks, we're not really going to get a chance to really find out too much until, I, I mean, I'm sure a little bit will leak out once, uh, once the drivers get into them, but I don't think there's going to be any big reveals or any big epiphanies or this big enlightening moment after this Barcelona shakedown. I think that... It's just a chance for everybody to get familiar with them, find out uh, maybe how these cars behave in reality rather than in the in the wind tunnel, in the simulator, and well, basically everywhere else than actual three-dimensional reality that we're all living and breathing and walking around in. So it's 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 so close, but at the same time, so far, but yeah, it's it's exciting, and they just I, I'm just blown away by all the cars that we've uh, seen so far. That's why it's a bit of a letdown that that Red Bull and both their forms are kind of still holding back on us. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what, what when those cars really roll out, both the Red Bull and the Alpha Tauri, what the what those final versions look like. I definitely don't want to be a damp towel because I think I was getting away with getting away from myself a little bit in the spaces chat tonight as I started circling certain dates on the calendar. And I think you're you're right. I think when we get to Barcelona, that is absolutely a mechanical shakedown for these teams. Some of these teams will have had filming days. We know Aston Martin has, we know Williams has. It's believed that Red Bull has, it, it's now understood that they've been to Silverstone. They just didn't publicize it because there's a couple of leaked photos that came out over the course of the last 48 hours. But I think for a lot of these teams, they get to Barcelona, it's going to be a shakedown. I was excited to get to Bahrain because that's real mm -hmm. winter testing. And exactly. the sense I got was we should have a better idea of what these cars are capable of. But Marshall in the Spaces chat tonight was very very quick to remind us that if ever there's been a time for sandbagging and putting out deceiving performances, it's probably <laughs> going to be there. So great realistically, we probably won't really know who's kind of nailed the design formula until we get to free practice one, two, and three a month from now in Bahrain. So oh, we precisely. certainly aren't going to yep. know anything coming out of Barcelona. We're probably not going to know a lot coming out of Bahrain. We probably really won't know a lot until that first Grand Prix weekend. And the other thing too, which I, I kind of dawned upon me earlier tonight is, you know, we've got the Mercedes launch tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And then on the 21st, we've got LP and I'm excited to see that because I'm excited to see how they integrate BWT and the pink coloring into that livery. The Alfa Romeo 
car launch isn't actually until the week after it's like the, the Barcelona shakedown. Yeah, the 27th. So incredibly, they're going to be rocking a car in camouflage at that event because they won't even be ready to show us what the livery looks like. So it shows how much value some of these teams are putting into Barcelona. I wonder if they're going to show up with the, the zebra stripes that we've seen uh, the cars put on uh, before, you know, how they, they have like this Definitely. real, it, it's, it's a black and the white and this really angular, jagged uh, paint job on it because it, it takes away some of the depth on the car. So we, we all know that uh, teams employ cameramen to, to go out there and take pictures. So you have all these photographers out there trying to take pictures of the cars and you know putting these zebra stripes on there just helps disguise the the actual uh, you know the, the you know the shape and size of uh, things like that. So it makes it a little bit harder to analyze the actual features on it. So it'd be uh, kind of cool. Plus do it looks pretty it looks pretty wicked, you know, in my, in my Do you opinion, I but. so I want you to lead into the next subject. Oh, but okay. do you mind if I tease the next subject? Sure, because we're going to go into a break. So now's the perfect time to tease. Perfect, so tease perfect. on. So I'm going to tease. So today, while we are all relishing in and absorbing and digesting that fantastic Ferrari launch when we mm -hmm. probably all should have been working, the FIA dropped a bomb. And we'll mm -hmm. get to that after this break. All right. Very good. And with that, uh, don't go away. <laughs> I'm we'll, a pro. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, if you want to do if you want to do that part, by all means, go for it. Anyways, we're going to take a short break for a quick word from our sponsor. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, welcome back to the show. And yes, we've been teasing, but before we get into the discussion that uh, I'm actually surprised that this news broke as that, you know, actually in 2022, uh, let alone uh, before the season started, uh, we'll get that into the into a moment. But talk about dropping bombs. Should we talk about the Super Bowl <laughs> halftime show? Because I know that was uh, something that's been on our radar for a long, long time since it was uh, first announced. When was it last spring, last summer, last, it seems like a a long time, but what did you think? I, I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. So I agree a hundred percent. I loved every minute of it, but it's, it's funny because I think in the past, a lot of my criticism of the Super Bowl halftime shows is that the musical talent that's trotted out is typically for an older generation. It's for the generation that was born in the seventies or grew up in the eighties. And when we were watching it this weekend, it was fantastic. And, and it kept 
thinking that it's fantastic that they're playing these modern contemporary artists that are really with it and mm. really key to modern popular culture. And it wasn't until I was scrolling through social media later that it dawned upon me that we are now that older audience, that older <laughs> demographic that they were appealing to with artists that were really in their prime 20 or 25 years ago. So it was fantastic. But if nothing else, it just reinforced to me how old I am. But I thought the individual performances were great. Yeah. I, I certainly thought 50 was great. Dre on the piano was fantastic. Snoop, as always, he's absolutely a master of live performances. M was brilliant. I loved his kicks. Everything about it was fantastic, other than the fact that it reminded me of the fact that I am now well into my 40s. What about you? <laughs> well, all of the above. So the, the the less we say about the last part about being well into our 40s, probably the better. But yeah, I mean, sometimes these halftime shows can be a really disappointing or maybe not disappointing, but underwhelming. And yeah. uh, But I, I think that they they picked a great lineup. I think they all delivered and uh, I loved every uh, moment of it. Uh, and uh, I, I was just uh, thinking, you know, I, every year when the Super Bowl comes on, I have to make my obligatory tweet about Left Shark. Do you remember Left Shark? So From can you please? So I didn't get that at the time. And I saw people talking about it this week. So I remember it was a Katy Perry performance that's right, yeah. and that there was two like state sharks. Can you please explain that to me? I still don't know what Left Shark yeah, was. Yeah. So, okay. So yeah, you you nailed it. So Katy Perry, the halftime act, what, what about five, six years ago now, I'm guessing? I think this was like... 2013, I yeah, think. Yeah, so it was in it about that time frame. So anyways, uh, she went out, did her set, and in one part, I can't remember if it was the, the the entire show, but at one point she was flanked by a pair of dancers in shark costumes. So obviously there was one on the left-hand side, on you know from TV view, which would have been on Katie's right hand side, and then one on her left hand side, and the left shark was horribly out of sync with everybody else <laughs> on the entire show. I mean, it was it was almost comical to the point where it was that th this person just really out of sync with what was going on, or were they just doing it on purpose? But it became oh, a geez. little bit kind of a almost a bit of a meme or a running joke. So every year at the Super Bowl since then, I have to either tweet something about. I hope they bring back. Uh, left shark or i tweet well uh, left shark uh, left shark gif and uh I, I i think i made the uh the the joke at the time i said looks like they forgot about left shark instead they forgot about trey but that's my dad joke humor so anyways let let's move on before i make more dad jokes and stop rolling your eyes sir i can see you we're you know we, we might not be in the same room but we're, we're looking at each other through the cameras anyways i'm gonna backpedal as hard as i possibly can and uh I, i'm gonna use michael Matt he is the fall guy now because this is the only way I'm going to salvage uh, things. Well, for the myself, FIA sure did. The FIA certainly did. You know, before we get into and talk about this ruling, there, there's two things on that. <clears throat> Number one, as I said in the first segment, I'm surprised that this actually happened so quickly because they were saying even just uh, as of a couple of weeks ago that they probably weren't going to release the findings of this inquiry until basically the, the first race of the year. So... I think most of us were expecting that this announcement was possibly three to four weeks out still. And number two, I don't know if they just got time zones mixed up or dates mixed up or they tried to maybe fly in under the radar because they actually dropped this announcement that they'd made, you know, they'd actually come to a decision, they'd made changes, and they dropped the news right in the middle of the Ferrari you know, launch, car launch. I'm just like, okay, this, you know, just seems a little bit uh, suspicious, but let's talk about it because there, there's a lot to unpack about this. Um, there's, I, I have, um, 
well, let's let's just talk about it because there, there's one thing that like when it comes to like the transparency issue that I'm not uh, super crazy about. But l- let's uh, first of all take a look here. The um, okay. No, that's oh, that's all the sprint race stuff. Anyway, so let's just back up. My God, there's so many notes here. So, anyways, basically the gist of it is that uh, Michael Massey, the race director, who was in the hot seat and has been that this hyper focus of this, um, you know, th- this whole saga, this entire drama since Abu Dhabi, he's out. So he's lost his job as the Formula One race uh, director in part of what is you know, a pretty massive uh, shakeup. And uh, they're going to have this new virtual F1 race control system. So do you want to explain this virtual race control system a little bit more? Yeah, I think we've all got a lot to learn about this. And and you're absolutely right that the FIA and Formula One really have, to your point, either the FIA had done this intentionally or they have no awareness of what's happening with the commercial Formula One body because to drop sure. this story, to drop this news while Ferrari is unveiling their car is unapologetically ugly. And, <laughs> and Domenicali and Chase Carey have to be furious, as should the entire Ferrari organization. But it looks like, as you noted, and there's a couple of pieces to this, obviously, bottom line, Michael Massey's out. He's not been fired. He's not been terminated. And I'll I'll speculate as to why that's the case in a couple of minutes, but he's no longer a race director for the FIA for Formula One. One of the things that they have introduced here, and they don't directly acknowledge why this is the case, other than the fact that it's a restructuring. It's not a response. They're not alleged. They're not apparently being reactive to the outcome of the championship last year, but obviously Michael Massey's out. The other thing that they're introducing is this new structure or this new tool called the virtual race control room. So this will be an entirely new tool that will be available to the stewards and the race directors at a Grand Prix weekend. Now, structurally, the virtual race control room will be off-site at an FIA office somewhere. We don't know where yet. Probably Paris, maybe London. <laughs> you know, It'll sorry to jump in here, but when I hear like Please. FIA uh, like offsite, I think of like CIA <laughs> dark site. You know, I'm, I'm thinking that this is going to be something. You know, it's like the basement in the Pentagon or somewhere like that. Anyways, please continue. A dark site, absolutely. <laughs> in, in some in some impoverished country somewhere, there is the darkened basement FIA virtual <laughs> race control room. So wherever it's going to be, new concept virtual race control room, it's going to have all of the feeds from the broadcast networks and plenty more. Yeah. Now, the expectation is that there'll be a team staffing it and they will have real-time access to and data on everything that's happening at the race. They will also be themselves, the individual that will be staffing the virtual race control room. They will be absolute subject matter experts when it comes to everything about race regulation. So it's going to be a new team and it's going to be uh, a new concept. So in real-time connection with the FIA F1 race director, of which there's going to be some changes this year, which you'll get to in a couple of minutes, there'll be this team. So they will be tapped directly into the stewards, directly into the FIA uh, race director to provide ongoing oversight of what's happening at the track to provide more immediate, more concise, and more tactical information and decision-making about what's happening at the track. So that's one of the big changes. Yeah, and they're going to have like this alternating uh, race director who will be uh, Eduardo Freitas, and then also former DTM uh, uh, fellow uh, Niels Wittig. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing, uh, pronouncing that uh, properly. Well done. So they're going to alternate as the race director. But but what 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 I like about like this offsite uh, you know uh, facility is that they're they're going to be away. It's you know 
know, offsite is the key, right? And the one thing that, although I thought it made for interesting television viewing, was obviously not the greatest when it came to actually removing or having that sort of that that buffer between the the people on the pit wall and the race director because it was interesting to hear like Christian petitioning Michael Massey or Toto but I mean you also have like it shouldn't happen right I I mean I can see in other sports like in football you got the coach on the on the sideline and he's yammering at the at the referee or the linesman or whatever it is right or same in soccer same in hockey smaller field of play arena that you know you get the, the the chance to interact with the the officials but i didn't like the fact that these guys could press a button and beyond the, the 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 you know be speaking to michael massey in real time and trying to influence him or pressure him and i mean ultimately you know the the, the stewards were separate but you know like i say it made for good tv but they they should be separate you know i just didn't like the idea that they could do that because it's it, Ultimately, it reared its ugly head at Abu Dhabi, right? And 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 this is where we are now. I mean, they 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 were bound and forced to make changes because they they had to do so. And unfortunately, I think that just by letting it grow and evolve the way that they did slowly over time, that unfortunately it ended the way that they did, and they put themselves in a position that they had to act and they had to make drastic changes, right? Yeah. The the one comment I, I would add on that one is, while I think it's wholly inappropriate that the teams had access to the race director in the way that they did and ultimately had the opportunity to lobby him, the fact that they had that access isn't necessarily new. It was more the fact that the FIA and to a degree, Michael Massey, allowed them to do that. There was nothing that could would ever have stopped them from doing this. And if you flash back to the Charlie days, the race or the team principals and the teams would do this. They would try to get at Charlie, but they could never get past Herbie. Herbie would be the <laughs> one that would intercept the calls and run interference for Charlie. So unfortunately, and this is this is where it goes back to, and you know, it just being in the spirit of being human, I know that human nature, when something goes wrong, I think instinctively people need to identify the source or the root cause of, mm -hmm. of what happened, what, who's to blame, what is to blame. And I think a very large percentage of the formula one community has zeroed in and locked in on Michael Massey, that the outcome of Abu Dhabi was fundamentally and entirely at the feet of, mm -hmm. of Michael Massey. And that's not fair. Michael Massey made a huge error. He should absolutely have lost his job. But in the spirit of being human, there was a lot of things that enabled that to happen. Yeah, One was yeah. the rule book itself, which is hugely problematic. One is the fact that he absolutely did not have the support network that's necessary to oversee the highest caliber of motorsports in the world. There's all kinds of different pieces. So absolutely, he made an absolutely callous mistake i don't think and we've talked about this so many times i don't think it was nefarious i don't think it was manufactured none of those things i don't think there was a grand scheme or a grand conspiracy but he needs to own that the fia needs to own that now with these decisions i think one of the things that i thought was really interesting is i i don't think and let's be clear that the FIA hasn't announced or shared their findings of the investigation into what happened at the conclusion of the championship last year. I also don't think that they ever will, or I don't think they'll ever make it public, which kind of speaks to their issues with transparency. But I think 100%, what they've done here 100%. is indirectly 
acknowledge that the outcome of Abu Dhabi was a disaster. And when I say indirectly, they have not fired Michael Massey. Let's be clear about this. They have simply announced that they are going to offer him an alternative role within the FIA. So while they fired him in, in essence, they haven't actually fired him. They don't have to go out and print a statement saying he's fired because if you do that, you have to provide an explanation for why he's terminated, why yeah. he's fired. So they're simply offering him a new role within the FIA. Now, I believe it's a professional courtesy and it's also to duck the responsibility of taking accountability for what happened. I don't think he'll accept a role with the FIA. I think it's a professional courtesy. And even if he does, I don't think he's going to be in that role very long. I just think all of this said, the FIA continues to duck the responsibility that should be inherent yep. within the outcome of that championship. I also think, and there was a listener on the Spaces chat tonight named Steve, and he made a really great point, and I'd never thought about this before, that the FIA may have actually already made the decision to move on from Michael Massey before Abu Dhabi. Like, mm -hmm. if you look at back at the totality of the 2021 championship, we talked endlessly throughout the championship about the quality of the officiating, whether it's track limits or overtaking in yep. corners or the absolutely soggy, oh, no pun intended, the soggy outcome from, from Belgium, <laughs> Belgium in Spa. There was so much of last year mm -hmm. that was defined and shaped by the officiating of the sport. So he may already have been on his way out. And then my final thought, and I know I'm starting to ramble, although I think sometimes I do my best work when I'm rambling. The other thought <laughs> to all of this is the current FIA president was provided with an opportunity and he himself was provided with a little bit of cover because he's able to come in and knowing how the end of the previous championship happened, how the outcome was concluded, he was given cover to make some pretty dramatics and some pretty sweeping changes. In the world of business, though, you, you got to think that if you're up for a promotion or you're retiring from a position, you want to set your successor up for success. You want to build a structure and put people into roles where they can excel so that your successor can be successful. You know, I look back now more and more on Jean Todd. He left the current FIA president a total mess. Ben inherited a total mess. If you look at the totality of what the FIA brings to Formula One at this point. So all of this is, is good stuff. I don't think there's any bad stuff here. I just would love to have seen a little bit more humility. I would love to have seen a little more accountability. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe we're ever going to see the report that will detail what their findings were with respect to the final race in the 2021 championship. Yeah, un unfortunately, uh, we probably won't. And I, I was just uh, thinking too, as you were so nicely running down that, uh, you know, your your analysis of all that, that one thing that they do by moving Michael Massey into another, uh, another role within the organization is that if they don't cut him loose, then they kind of keep the, the sword of Damocles dangling above his head, because if they, you know, they kick him out of the, uh, out of the organization, what we, you know, even if he signs an NDC, who, who, who's to say that he just doesn't decide to, to break rank and break his silence. Oh, and I say, never thought you know, about that. Th then come completely clean. I mean, now they keep him in there you know, they give them some fancy high priced or high paid job somewhere else, and then they can stay vague about it. Like you say, I mean, they're, they're never going to release their reports. And I mean, it's, it'll stay buried there with like the, the, the moon landing conspiracy and all these other bizarre things that daily your hypothesis people. on this one is even better than mine. Mine was very much, Hey, as a professional courtesy, we won't terminate <laughs> you, but we're going to offer you a short term gig and that you're going to politely 
kind of retire from quickly. But I think yours is even better, which is, hey, look, juicy, we're not going to terminate you. Spicy. We're going to offer you a cushy, <laughs> a cushy, meaningless job at the FIA headquarters in Paris. Just stay quiet and accept these nice paychecks for the next 10 years. Well, oh, what, I like what can I say? I, I love watching spy movies and, and anything like that. I've watched way too much uh, Homeland and 24 and stuff like that over the years. So, uh, you know, you, you can see where my thinking's at. Uh, I just oh, wish definitely. I had, I, I just wish I had a DB5 like a 007 or, or just basically anything that would make me more like James Bond. Anyways, it would be, uh, it would fit well in the driveway of your lavish estate. <laughs> That's right. Anyways, let's take a quick break when we come back. Are we going to still uh, talk about this or are we going to move on to some other news? Well, we'll decide. So I think, we'll- yeah, I think we'll decide. I think just a couple of other quick points. So just to recap everything there today, the FIA through President Ben, he had a speech. They're going to introduce, introduce the virtual race control room to assist the stewards and the race director. Direct radio communication has been disconnected. They are going to remove the unlapping procedures from behind the safety car. And then finally, we have kind of these two folks that are going to work in tandem to function as the race director. So that's to recap everything that we just talked about, because I took us on a weird tangent. Sorry about that. And, and, and my conspiracy tangent wasn't weird enough as it was. <laughs> Anyways, t- time for a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, well, welcome back to the show and getting away from things that we can't prove, like uh, conspiracy theories and things like that. One thing that we can prove is that they finally announced which races we're going to see for the uh, for the sprint races uh, this year. So it's going to be Imola. Uh, Austria and Brazil and there's going to be some uh, different uh, changes to the format as well which I think is uh, great so pole position for the Grand Prix will be uh, awarded to the fastest driver for qualifying on Friday and then also uh, for the sprint race they're going to be awarding world championship points for the top eight uh, finishers as follows so first gets eight points and then sliding down by one point so eight points for first and one point for eighth so I think that's uh, a good way uh, to do that and then uh, the the cost cap adjustments for the sprint races are going to stay the same as they were last year as well so I think this is a good idea you know that was one of the big uh, I don't want to say controversies but one of the big uh, talking points from the sprint races when they were trialed last year was uh, okay well who who gets credited with the poll how do they work it around so I'm glad that they've figured this out before the season now and they've they've come up with a structure to work with and I'm glad that I'm also glad that they've only stuck to three races out of what are we having this year 22 23 i think keep it to a selective bunch when they said like a couple of months ago that they were going to do up to what was it six races it was like every two or three races we were going to have a a sprint race weekend and and for me that was just too much like i i still like the idea of the the sprint races i might not be as as jacked up about it as, as i was prior to the start of last year but six for me would have been too much, and I, I still enjoy the novelty and the concept of it enough that I don't want to throw it out completely, but I don't want to see it like every other race. So for me, I'd say, yeah, three races spread across the 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 width or the width and the breadth of the of the season three times. Sounds about right. 
Let's be super clear though. Formula One didn't want three sprint weekends. They wanted no, they six, wanted six, just like yeah. you indicated. They wanted six because they see, and again, let's be clear, Liberty Formula One, they're all about extracting value from this property. And one of the ways you do that is by pumping up these race weekends and you can pump up the value of a race weekend by injecting more excitement. And you do that by sticking in something like a sprint qualifying session. So for Formula One, sprint qualifying is important because if I'm selling these events to race organizers, I can sell one of these weekends for more money than I would for a weekend without sprint qualifying. And I could go to the TV networks and get more money from the TV networks because they've got more in a broadcast and they're going to get more eyeballs on on the TV. So Formula One was all about six. The problem is you had two teams in Red Bull and Mercedes that would only sign up to six sprint weekends if the sport allowed the cost cap to raise by $5 million. Now, all the smaller teams were saying, no, 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 no. We can run six sprint weekends without increasing the cap. And they were motivated to do that because A, they didn't believe that there was a necessary cost increase associated with six sprint weekends. Because really, when you consider the number of laps that are done during a sprint race, it's not a lot more than it you would do in the the free practice session you lose. Now, there's a greater risk of damage naturally, but Red Bull and Mercedes were saying, hey, we want to do this, but we want to inject more money into the cap, which would disproportionately benefit them and disproportionately negate the benefits of the increased revenue for all of the other teams. So ultimately, they refused to agree to six. F1 stepped in and said, hey, we're going to do these three. And they've introduced a couple of tweaks to make the race weekend a little bit more palatable mm-hmm. based on some of the feedback last year. So for me, my thought was always, hey, I am still of the mind that qualifying. I love Friday qualifying. I love nothing more than taking an hour out of the middle of my workday to watch a qualifying session with some colleagues. I still think that qualifying should set the grid for the sprint event and for the Grand Prix. I also don't think it should be called sprint qualifying and it's not anymore. It's just called the sprint. Um, I think there's still some massaging here to do. I'm just glad that Formula One was open to doing some things. And to your point, I'm not sure, man. I'm not sure if I would have had the appetite for one of these every three or four race weekends. It's an awful lot when you're talking about an already jam-packed 23 race calendar. Oh, yeah. I mean, how many times are we going to have like double and triple header weekends all season long? I mean, if we were going to have like six sprint weekends on top of that, I mean... You know, it seems almost uh, counterintuitive uh, for me to sit here and say, you know, is is there a point when there would be too much Formula One? When I when I, I looked at the schedule and then the possibility of all these sprint weekends on top of it, I was thinking to myself, yeah, there there might be a point in 2022 when I'm thinking there's too much Formula One going on, and and this is coming from a guy that's a, a diehard Formula One fan. So I'm I'm glad that it's kind of shaken out the way that it has, and I'm glad that it's it's only going to be three races, and. The, the other question I have is, is, um, is Brazil going to be like a perpetual sprint weekends like venue because they had it last year, they get it this year as well, but whatever. I mean, uh, three times over the course of the year, Imola, Austria, and Brazil, that uh, sounds about right. Um, you know, w- w- as we said, it would make sense to kind of spread it out uh, geographically, but I'm, I'm surprised that maybe one of the middle Eastern or maybe one of the Asian races didn't get a sprint, uh, sprint event, but who knows if that was ever really a discussion. So two questions for you, because I'd love your feedback, not necessarily your feedback, but I'd love your thoughts on this one. 
obviously we're seeing a shakeup in the way that points are being awarded. So yep. last year, only the top three finishers scored points. It was three points, <laughs> two points, one point this year from the first place to the eighth place is eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one point. So eight finishers are going to score in the points, which makes these events that much more important and that much more meaty. Um, and the other thing that we learned is that for historical purposes, the poll, the poll, is going to be awarded to the individual that finishes top during the Friday qualifying, mm -hmm. not the person that scores the race win during the sprint qualifying session. So I would love your perspective. Good idea that they're making the race a little juicier with the number of points that are going to be available. And two, do you prefer that poll be awarded for historical record keeping purposes? Do you prefer that poll be awarded for the Friday qualifying session or should it be for the sprint event like it was last year? You know, I, I like the idea that they're going to do it on Friday because it, even though it's not the qualifying for the race itself, it is qualifying in its own right. So I think that that, that it works. I mean, I, I like how they're moving away from squ uh, sprint qualifying. Like you say, they're just calling it the sprint. So sure, I think that I, I'm I'm fine with that. But what I really like now is that the fact that they are going to hand out points for the first day eight finishers in the sprint. And I think that's maybe the way that you make this a little bit more appealing, make give the teams more um and you know um incentive to go out there and 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 do something in this sprint on Saturday. I mean if the the first couple of cars were only going to get points the way that they did it last year. I mean if you're a, say a McLaren or a Ferrari or somebody that's that's not really going to win a race under normal circumstances. I mean cuz chances are that I mean based on what we've seen the last couple of years is either going to be Red Bull or Mercedes. So everybody else is going to say, well, you know, we're not going to have a chance to beat uh, any one of those four cars from those two teams. So why do we really need to go out there and push and fight? But when you throw more points out there for everybody else, rather than the first three cars or for first three finishers like they did last year, all of a sudden there's a lot more on the table. There's a lot more to race for. And if you get an interesting uh, battle in the constructors this year, like we've seen over the past couple of years between uh, McLaren and Ferrari, for example... Picking up those points, picking up a five points or a four points or three points, whatever it is in these uh, sprint races, you know, over the course of an entire season, you know, that that adds up. I mean, if you can bring home 10, 10 points between your two cars over those each one of those weekends, I mean, that can make a big difference come the end of the year in the constructors. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think I, this is probably more exciting for the smaller teams that will be scrambling to amass constructors points to try to stack up as much prize money as possible at the end of the season. I, I love the new point structure. I think it's going to make these events that much more relevant. Now, is it going to make sprint the sprint weekend that much more exciting if it's the first or second month of the season? Maybe not. But when you get down to Brazil and all of a sudden you go into that race weekend and you have 25, 26 points available to a potential race winner. And the fact that, hey, you could score 25 points for taking the win, a point for the fastest lap, and you can stack eight points on top of that if you win the sprint. That's crazy, man. That's what, 34 points available in a single race weekend? Exactly, right? It really right? keeps the championship wide open. And I also... I. 
So I'm a big baseball guy and people that are baseball fans are really big on the history book and the records of major league baseball. A lot of us are really struggling right now to digest the fact that the designated hitter is going to be introduced into the national National league. league. Yeah. 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 that, That changes the dynamic of how the record books have functioned in that sport. But I'm a big fan of record books and I love going back and seeing, Hey, how many pre polls did this driver score and what were the most polls scored in a season and last year was a little bit weird because all of a sudden you had these three race wins that or these three race weekends where poll wasn't given for a a historical perspective and for a record keeping perspective to the person that triumphed during qualifying itself it was given to the person that won that sprint qualifying event so i i like this i I just still don't believe that sprint qualifying or the sprint race or the sprint or whatever we're calling it this year, <laughs> I still don't believe that should set the grid for for Saturday. I think that should be exactly what it is, which is an independent mini race. That's what it is. It's a mini race, and it shouldn't be setting the grid for for the actual race itself. Well, the the other thing that, that, that I like about the fact that they're going to give out um, points for the first eight finishers on the, the, the Saturday sprint is the fact that th- these are points that you have to go out and earn. And it's, I mean, sure, I guess you could say it's kind of gimmicky, the whole sprint concept in and of itself, but it's not as bad as like they did a couple of times over the years where they'd have like these double point finishes like for, for races. I think that the last time they did that was what, 2016-ish? 2014 um, was it 2014 okay so i mean yeah. it's it's been a while but uh i i, I didn't like things like that i, that always thought, was I thought terrible it was, i thought it was i thought it was bogus so i i, I like i fact. completely agree that was terrible yeah but but like to to my original point is i'm glad that they're they're giving more points out on saturday to to more cars and i think it's just going to make it a little bit more exciting rather than watching lewis drive away down into the distance watching max following him or vice versa and the other two, uh, you know, the other Red Bull and the other Mercedes or whoever comes out as the top dog this year. I, I think it's just going to make or the, the potential is there for for more exciting uh, racing. So anyways, let's move on to the next one because there's still a ton of things. We're already 45 minutes into this thing here. So what, what's the next one? OK, well, yeah, we already talked about that. That was the, the, the non-disclosure of their... Uh, the FIA's investigation into the Abu Dhabi uh, controversy. Yeah, we don't need to uh, talk about that. So that's uh, probably good in the uh, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. Um, where should we go here? Oh, okay. Let's actually let's go into a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the soggiest discussion we'll probably have all show long, and that was to reference to your reference about Belgium because this is the other thing that came out. So we're going to talk about this because we were all over them for that uh, that that farce last year. Anyways, there's um, there's a big there's news on that. So let's put it that way. Time for a break. We'll be back in just a moment. Don't go away. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Okay, welcome back. So, Formula One and the FIA have confirmed that big revisions to the treatment of short races and all these half points and things like that, uh, that is going to be revamped because that was, like you said, when we were talking about, uh, you know, the whole decision to remove Michael Massey as the race director and perhaps he was already under the microscope, not just because of what happened in Abu Dhabi, but just the way that things kind of played out over the course of the entire season. And of course, one of those flashpoints was the Belgian Grand Prix at Spa. When was that? The end of August, I'm guessing, is typically when it was about third, fourth, yeah, third weekend in August. Soggy weekend, bad weekend. I mean, there were crashes in, you know, in uh, like all weekend long through all the support races as well. It was a torrential downpour. They did the right thing by not running the race because it was it was just a safety issue. And we saw Lando have a big moment at the top of Eau Rouge, and there was obviously big concern for that. So the, the only thing was that w- was really a joke was they toured around behind the safety car, then they went back into the pits, they stayed there for a long time, then they went back ar- out behind the safety car just for, what was it, a couple of laps, basically to say that they did something and then they they red flagged it and ended the race and then gave everybody half points and it was just a, a real joke. And I mean, there there was so much criticism, not just uh, from the, uh, you know, from, from the fans, from the media. I mean, the, the, the drivers were critical. I mean, most of them were saying that, uh, you know, the fans should be given their money back or they should be given, uh, you know, uh, heavily discounted tickets to come back for 22 all these different things. So that was one of the big things that needed to change. And I mean, we actually got to the point that we decided last year that we were going to round up or down when it came to points because it just sounded silly to say that Max is leading uh, the championship. He's got 243 points, three points ahead of Lewis Hamilton, who has 240 and a half points or whatever it was, you know. Uh, So I'm glad that they've uh, made this uh, decision. So they said that no points will be awarded unless a minimum of two laps have been completed by the leader without a safety car or or and or a virtual safety car intervention. So that bar has been set. It's a pretty low bar, but in the the case of Spa last year when the conditions were that bad, would they have even been able to go out there and complete two laps even nope. at the lowest speed and and maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point of why they came up with this uh th- this framework. Yeah, I completely agree. It's it's crazy that in the context and in the shadow of what we saw at the end of the championship last year, that Spa itself has been forgotten and you and me and the entire F1 community. And like you said, the drivers and the teams were so up in arms about the outcome of that race. And to set everyone back, Spa, torrential rain all weekend. Lando had that scary incident at the top of Eau Rouge. There was a really scary incident during the W Series yep. support race. We go into the race weekend. They do three laps. They do three formation laps. They come into the pits. They're there for an eternity. They come out. And ultimately, the drivers do two laps behind a safety car. So there is never a racing lap. They do two laps behind the safety car, which is just enough. That is the bare minimum to get a race classified. Bam, the race is over. They award half points. Everyone goes home. So Mm -hmm. for all the fans that have been sitting there watching the spectacle for hours and hours and hours, they're upset. What is this? Why are these drivers being awarded points? They haven't completed a racing lap. And for the drivers, they're equally as upset. And for everybody that went to spa that weekend, they don't get a refund because the race isn't canceled because <clears throat> yeah. it gets classified. And at the time, everyone was speculating that, hey, look, the FIA 
Formula One, they knew it was never going to be safe enough to complete a racing lap. So they paraded everybody out there. And this is where that term of farce came up. So mm -hmm. they, they paraded everyone out there behind the safety car, knowing that they were never going to complete a racing lap, but they paraded them out there because they wanted to get the race in the books and they could get it in the books and they could get it classified by completing two laps behind the safety car. So now that is never going to happen. And I'm reading here from gpfans.com. After the completion of two recognized racing laps, but in the event of less than a 25% distance being achieved, the top five drivers will be awarded points. The winner will score six, the runner up four, uh, with uh, further deductions to the fifth place driver who would score one. If 25% is completed, but less than 50%, the following points will be applied first 13, second 10, third eight, fourth six, fifth five, sixth four, seventh third three, eighth two, ninth. One for races where above 50%, but less than 75% is completed. The points would increase again. First from 13 to 19 second from 10 to 14 third from eight to 12 and so on and so forth. So this is a fairer way of making sure that we don't yep. see a farce like what we saw in spa last year that they are saying that, look, unless they can complete a certain bare minimum of racing laps. So those are laps where the virtual safety car isn't present or a physical safety car isn't present. There's no way a race is going to get classified. And if the conditions don't allow for a racing lap, the race will be canceled because again, you look at the outcome of the race last year, Max Verstappen won that race. He took home half points. If that race had been canceled like it should have been and that everyone was arguing at the time, Lewis Hamilton wins the championship, even with the outcome in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, I know. It, it, it's funny, though. And, and it, it does go to show that over the course of such a long season, how these these isolated incidents can make have have such a huge outcome on the eventual Absolutely. result at the end of the year. And, you know, that, that's funny you should mention that because I, ne I never actually thought about that. Uh, with all the drama that we saw last year in 21, especially the, the you know, the, the crescendo and the followed after Abu Dhabi. I, I never went back and revisited that, but that is such a great observation that uh, if, if those points had not been awarded the way that they were after Spa, then that that whole debacle after Abu Dhabi just uh, it doesn't mean anything you know well I'm yeah <laughs> let's not go down that road I mean that's a completely and by the way I should probably get my math straight so I'll come back and verify if my comment was accurate but okay I think sure it is. <laughs> but it, ju it just speaks to the fact that hey that really could potentially have been very influential yeah. in the championship yeah. but you know the other thing is uh, and obviously I mean you, you could tell my my skepticism my cynicism towards the fact that they aren't going to make the results of that investigation into the Abu Dhabi uh, situation public but i am as as disappointed as i am from that aspect i am encouraged by the fact that they acted in a lot quicker uh, fashion than i expected because i was honestly not expecting to see or hear any results uh, for a couple of weeks yet at minimum but then also some of these other things like the, the the half points i mean that became a bit of a running joke on this show after like spa right up until the end of the year so i i'm glad that despite I, I guess you could say the the results are somewhat or the actions are somewhat mixed, but they're they're acting on things and hopefully with the with the new president in place at the FIA, that perhaps this is the first tentative steps into a new era. And they're listening, they're acting upon these things. So I, I have hope now. Let's put it that way. And and just to clarify my statement prior. 
in Belgium, Max Verstappen finished first. And yeah. of course, George Russell had that shock second place finish because he qualified well during the rain. And Lewis Hamilton finished third. Half points were awarded, which means that Max Verstappen scored 12 and a half points. Lewis Hamilton scored seven and a half points as a five point delta at the end of the season. Max Verstappen won the championship by eight points. So that five point uh, differential wouldn't have made a difference. And Max would have actually still won by three points. So I take back in the spirit of humility, which the FIA doesn't <laughs> love to show. I'm demonstrating what it can look like live on the air. Oh, man. But uh, that's completely against the theme of this show. You could uh, you could have said that you're going to go back and revisit uh, your calculations, but you're not going to make the, the results of your inquiry public. So. You know. I am demoting you to a different undisclosed <laughs> position within the Scuderia F1 recording studio. Fair uh, enough. Introducing two replacements that will alternate week to week. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> this, uh, I accuse you of being a professional because you handled that way too quickly. I mean, talk about thinking on your feet. Well done. <laughs> yeah, and Meg, uh, Meg, Charlie, I'm calling you live on the air. You are the new co-host. You will take turns week to week. All right, I got my Thursday nights bag. This worked out well in the end. <laughs> but talking about a guy that's uh, not going to have as much time on his hands, uh, this year's Otmar Safnauer, former team principal at Force India slash Racing Point slash Aston Martin Racing, is now the uh, new team principal at Renault slash Alpine slash Alpine which that's way too many slashes in there. Uh, anyways, this is something that's, when I heard the news, it was kind of a surprise, but not really, because he was rumored to be going there last year, and then he was uh, obviously let go by uh, Aston Martin not so long ago, and then replaced, and then he pops up uh, at Alpine, who had this bizarre triple-headed monster last year, rather than having a dedicated team principal in the wake of the de uh, departure of uh, Cyril Abitaboul, who was the, uh, the, the, the team principal there prior to 2021 and uh this you know i i can't help but think that this this is just a good hire i th this was just logical i mean otmar's far too good of uh, an f1 person to be out uh, of a job for too long and uh, just looking up and down the pit lane this just just made way too much sense w when you looked at it or when i looked at it the question was how long is this going to take and the, the answer was it didn't take very long What's remarkable about this story is you and I were talking about his departure from Aston Martin and his potential arrival at Alpine back on November 12th. This really? was, wow. this was reported three months ago and it took until now to become official. And, and you're right that Alpine who themselves have been a revolving door of executives for the better part of the five, six, seven years that they back back in formula one, they went into last year with this bizarre triumvirate of this three. Like, I like the way you put it, that three headed monster of leaders that were going to take control of different parts of the organization. And it just doesn't really work in sports. That, it, it it really doesn't like that. The equivalent would be like, look at major league baseball. You have a manager and you maybe have a hitting coach and you have a batting coach and, and then you have a manager, but ultimately there's one individual that's responsible for everything that happens in that dugout. This would be like taking a major league baseball team and saying, Hey, the three of you are going to co-manage this team. It's just, <laughs> it's never going to work. No. I, I have to think though, that this is an absolute coup for Alpine and Alpine CEO, uh, Lauren Rossi had actually commented a couple of days ago that last year they didn't intend 
to have that three-headed monster that you spoke of, that it was more an unintended consequence of the departure of their previous team principal. Although, of course, his departure was a byproduct of being fired. So <laughs> I think maybe they probably should have anticipated this coming. But I think I think Otmar is an absolute coup for this team. And yeah. you need only reflect back on his time with, with Force India slash Racing Point slash Aston Martin to put this into context or a kind of terms or a frame of reference that I think a lot of our North American listeners might be familiar with, Force India was the smallest of small market teams in Formula One. Think about them as the Oakland Athletics or the Sacramento Kings or some small market team that has very little financial resources mm -hmm. but continues to punch above their weight. I guess I guess the Sacramento Kings aren't really a great example unless you go back to the, the Mitch Richmond era. But take a look at Oakland Athletics for the better part of the last 25 years. Zero budgets, zero revenues, but they're continually competitive. And that's really what Force India were. They had virtually virtually no financial resources. They had a tiny factory. They had just 400 employees while some of their competitors had 800, 1,000, 1,200 full-time staff on their roster. This was a man that wore countless hats. He had to be out negotiating sponsorships. He had to be looking after the factory, the aero philosophy. He was doing a little bit of everything. And you and I have speculated in the past about what happened at Aston Martin. And Hopefully one day we'll get a better sense of why he didn't stay with that team and why he didn't necessarily mesh with his new boss and with Lawrence Stroll. <clears throat> but I think he's going to have, this is an absolute coup for Alpine. And they made the comment that they expect to be competing for championships within a hundred Grand Prix, which is really probably four, four and a half seasons. I think he's the right guy to do it. And this is a team that also is necessarily financially flush with cash right now. And I think Renault, who's obviously the parent organization and is partially state-owned in, in France, I think they continue to look at this project and say, is this worth it for us, especially if we can't be competitive? Because the other way that this team would typically make money is by selling power units to other teams. And they don't have any customer teams right now. Now, no. Otmar is incredibly well-respected within the sport. Maybe he's able to negotiate an engine supply deal with another team. But ultimately, I think he's absolutely the right person to bring in to right the ship at Alpine. You know, it's interesting, too, that you kind of make that small market reference uh, between, say, like the Oakland Athletics and Racing Point, because those are the two teams that Jose Canseco has driven slash played for. So there you go. But, uh, you know, I, I'm joking. Uh, you know, the, another bad joke. But, uh, yeah, no, I think that uh, this is a great move by, by Alpine. And I think I don't want to say it's one final toss of the dice to really nail it and get it going in, in Formula One. I mean, they've been doing this now since, what, 2015 again, since 2015. they took over like, Lotus. Um, but I mean, they've, they, they just really haven't gotten to where I think most of us expected that they would. I mean, they've kind of shown a couple of glimpses here and there, but they've been far and few between. Um, but you know, it, it's just that, like you say, I mean, when it's a partially state-owned company and when they're looking at, like the the bigger picture it's like when do they decide that it just isn't worth it for them any longer to to keep going and, and, and investing in this project but the thing is that if you, if you get good people in there to run it and like you say Otmar is incredibly respected uh, throughout uh, the the rest of the pit lane throughout the paddock throughout the formula 1 world if anybody's going to turn this thing around and if anybody's got a good mind to organize organize this team and point it in the right uh, direction it, it's going to be Otmar and i mean there there isn't anybody else available at the moment with with that sort of uh, profile and with that resume 
than uh, Otmar Safnauer. So it, it's certainly going to be interesting. It's just going to be, my big question is, how much time are they going to give him to to turn the ship around and point it in the right uh, direction before they decide to either part ways with him or are they just going to pull the plug and walk away from Formula 1? I'm not suggesting that they would do either with a great haste. I just kind of wonder where they, uh, you know, where their mindset is with the the upper management there. Okay, so let's move on to the next story. And whereabouts are we? Oh, yes. So we, we are sort of uh, talking about our psychic abilities here. So you apparently have cracked the Netflix algorithm and you did uh, last week. We were trying to predict when the new drop of uh, season four of uh, Drive to Survive will launch. You said uh, March 11th and they confirmed that season four is indeed going to drop on, uh, on March 11th, which is great i mean that's what three weeks from uh, from today so set a reminder in your phone get it uh, you know set that reminder in netflix so that when, when you uh, you know you, you log into your device on that day you can just uh, get right into it but yeah i'm excited i mean of course they they they, they pick and choose everything uh, that, that they want to make it uh, dramatic and exciting but i mean there wasn't too much manipulation needed after last year because there were plenty of exciting storylines and different threads to pull on so i i'm you know, I, I know i'm not alone in saying i'm circling march 11th on my calendar digitally of course because who uses a paper calendar anymore but uh exciting and congratulations on that prediction sir yeah you know that's one of my strengths is uh is math and uh this was a fairly easy calculation but uh thank you for that i gotta say though what i'm most excited to see is how they address the finale like i again Mm. Considering that Netflix and Formula One are doing this in partnership, this is a collaboration between the two. And like you said, they're very selective about what's shown, what's discussed, what's aired. I am incredibly eager to see how they address the finale. Are they going to be an open book and look at it with a critical lens and acknowledge what a disaster that was for the sport? Or did they brush over that? I'm incredibly excited to see. So for me, I'm almost going to skip ahead, presumably to what I'm hoping will be kind of bottled up in that last episode. But episode 10 is the one that I'm most eager to see. Well, you know, the other thing is that uh, when we do our reaction show to the new season, this year is going to force both of us to sit through like the entire like season, all the episodes. Yeah. So (laughs) (laughs) because I know we got right to the end. I think I watched half of the last episode. I I can't remember. I think you did something similar, but we have to sit through the entire like like it's a bad thing to sit through the entire season. I know. I know. We we set ourselves a bit of an unrealistic uh, time frame. It dropped on a Friday. We were going to do our reaction show on Sunday, which we did, but then we had to cram an entire season worth of uh, Drive to Survive in uh, between Friday night and Sunday afternoon. But uh, (laughs) anyways, uh, good stuff uh, nonetheless. And since uh, you've been flexing those psychic powers, now predict me some uh, lottery uh, numbers so I can go and buy a ticket and... uh, you know, become uh, ridiculously wealthy. You're you're looking unsure of yourself there. I, is is this not? Uh, no. With all due respect, if I could if I could predict lottery ticket winners, I wouldn't be sitting here As, in this basement, <laughs> gazing up at the the mansion of yours up on the hill. So. 
Well, you, you make it sound like me flying around in my Zeppelin, tossing gold coins out to, to the people <laughs> below to be a bad thing, you know, while I'm hanging out with my Throwing wife. them to them or at them? Yeah, well, that's up to interpretation, but, uh, you know, <laughs> me and my 1% buddies, we like to have a good time, so <laughs> let's just leave it at that. Probably move on from that comment as quick as possible. So, um, oh, yeah. next story, uh, Red Bull have another uh, sponsor, and this is uh, in the wake of uh, last week, uh, they announced a new title sponsor in uh, the software company Oracle. Uh, so this uh, week they've announced uh, a sponsorship deal with Bybit. So it's getting a little bit uh, kind of uh, a little bit kind of much to kind of pronounce, but I guess the official team name is Oracle Red Bull Racing. So anyways, uh, interesting that uh, they're lining up the sponsors. And again, it just uh, goes to show you that there's no lack of corporate interest and desire to get into Formula One and in one way or another and, and sponsor a team and uh, get your branding, your logo on one of these cars. I'll give credit to Vincenzo Landino, friend of the show, because one of the things that he's been trumpeting via his social media channels for some time is that <clears throat> cryptocurrency is very much the, and I'm stealing this phrase from Vincenzo, but it, cryptocurrency is very much the new tobacco of, of Formula One. And we can probably expect to see more and more and yeah, more of this. Okay. It's, it's going to be a blend of obviously these big corporate enterprise type sponsors, but probably a lot of cryptocurrency as well. And this is a perfect example that Red Bull has secured another sponsorship. This one's worth, like you said, $150 million over three years. Big so money. you consider the fact that they're going to pull in $100 million a year from from Oracle that combined between these two sponsors, they're going to earn $150 million a year, which covers the entire cost cap and then some. Like almost their entire operations are are covered by these two sponsors. So it speaks to the benefit of winning in Formula One because obviously the association with the winning Formula One team pr provides tremendous value to your organization, but absolutely a financial coup for a team that probably doesn't need it, but has certainly earned it by scoring that driver's championship last year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, let's take uh, one quick uh, final uh, timeout. We'll come back and we'll, uh, we got a bunch of quick hits here in the news and we'll do that uh, as we slowly dim the lights and well, we're already at home, our respective homes, but you know what I mean. Anyways, back in a moment, don't go away. Okay, well, the first uh, story as we start to to tidy things up here and dim the lights is after 27 years, Williams is going to remove the Senna S logo from their 2022 car. It's been on their car ever since, uh, well, the mid-90s, ever since uh, Ayrton tragically lost his life in that uh, accident at Imola back in 1994. Um, so do you want to talk about this one, Mark, what, uh, what, what the logic was behind them uh, to... To, uh, to, to remove this? Yeah, I think the first thing that's probably important to, to comment on here is that while they'll be removing the acknowledgement of Ayrton Senna from the physical car itself, there will still be a strong legacy and tribute to Senna on the Williams campus. And the Williams campus is well known for its hospitality and, and it's in its yep. museum of, of cars. So I think anyone that does visit the campus will absolutely be immersed in, in recognition an acknowledgement of what Ayrton meant to the team and what he meant to Formula One. I think Dalton and the Williams team, I think it's important for them to be able to continue to advance and evolve this team. And I think they're doing it in a respectful way, knowing that, hey, you know what, we've, we've, we've 
graced our cars with an acknowledgement to what he meant to the sport for 27 years. Um, but now we're going to find other ways to acknowledge and, and continue to, to recognize what he meant to the sport and mm-hmm. to this team, um, but just in different ways. So not controversial at all. I think it's, it's good, but I also speak, think it speaks to the fact that Dalton is really looking now to put their stamp on this team. And even this week, Yost Capito had made a comment that look, this is no longer a family-run business. This is a world-class, well-funded engineering operation. And I think this is just another one of those steps to demonstrate that they want to put their imprint on this team, while also not dismissing its history and its legacy. And of course, mm-hmm. we spoke earlier the fact that they're continuing to call the cars the FWs, the Frank Williams. Yep. And of course... Ayrton will continue to be honored and recognized, but they'll simply do so on the campus itself. Yeah, I, I think it's appropriate, um, and uh, and I'm fine with the way that they're doing it. And you know, I, I kind of like the way that that uh, the new management is. They're kind of going. They're well. They're not kind of. They're going in their own direction, but they're still taking that history and and bringing that forward but they're doing so in their own way i mean uh, you know keep the, the traditional things like keeping the fw in in the name of the car i think that's great you know ca- you know carry that tradition forward and like you say the, the the history that they have to draw on i mean ever since williams came into formula 1 what was it in 78 79 some something like that i mean it's a ridiculously long history that they have and i mean they were ridiculously successful in formula 1 for quite some time too and i mean unfortunately they haven't been you know had much success in a very long time as well but they have a very very rich history and you know that that was the thing they they did take the team over they 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 did it with the you know the the view to obviously run a team although when it comes in like a you know they're they're venture capitalists aren't they i mean i was also I kind of wondered you know is this per, perhaps a you know, in, in, in a short or maybe a medium term investment, you know, maybe it is, maybe they're going to flip it to, to, to someone else, but maybe in the meantime, or maybe not, what, whatever their plans are for the, you know, short, long, medium term, whatever it is, that they're going to run it the way that they see fit and uh, run it their own way. And, uh, you know, ultimately at, you, at this point, I I don't see any issues with the way they're doing with it. Sorry, go ahead. I think, no, I was just going to say, I think they've done a fantastic job with this team, right? I think when you hear venture capitalists, you oftentimes think, hey, they're going to strip this down to the nuts and bolts yes. and start selling yeah, off yeah. individual assets to get value in the short term. They've continued to invest in this team and yeah. bring in absolute subject matter experts. I'm still I, I'm still of the mind that they may not be the long-term owners. I still think they're potentially a front for a large automotive OEM that might be looking to enter the sport and that Williams itself may be sold off to that yeah. other entity. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't have any concrete evidence to suggest that. But in the short term, the medium term, I certainly can't criticize the way that they've run this team. I think they got the team for an absolute song, an absolute bargain when Williams was at a point where they simply ran out of cash and liquidity. And I think they got it for a song, but I cannot criticize what they've done with this team since they've taken control of it. Yeah, totally. Hey, so sticking with Williams, and and this one is a bit um, sobering, let's uh, put it this way, but uh, Nicholas Latifi has uh, released or disclosed some of the information about the security that he had to bring on after he got all those threats for the the accident that he was involved in in Abu Dhabi, which led to the safety car, which led to the debacle, which led to the fact that uh, Lewis lost the championship and Max won it uh, and and all of that. And we, we said at the time, it's just like, you, you can't fault Nicky for that. He had a moment like every other racing driver in the history of racing has had a moment at one time or another 
and why should he be targeted by these, you know, these wackos, right? Yeah. Did Did you want to talk a little bit more about that, or because I've uh, I can't find my notes for it, other than I, I've written it yeah. down. Anyways, it's just it's a scary thing, and and I hate to hear you know like I I felt bad that right from the very beginning that he felt responsible for influencing the outcome of that race, and I hate to hear even more of that that he he felt. That that he needed to have people watching his back, like 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 pros, like guys that are like ex special forces or you know SWAT team or whatever the heck these guys are, to to watch him because he he's legitimately concerned that somebody's going to try and do something stupid, right? Yeah, I completely agree. And ultimately, you and I have been very much of the mind that he was doing what he should have been doing at the moment that the crash happened. And unfortunately the outcome wasn't desirable, but he was racing for position during a formula one grand prix as a professor or as a professional formula one race driver. He's doing and his job. The outcome wasn't a hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. He was doing his job and it's just, it's shocking and it's disturbing that we continue to live in a world where somebody has to lean into private professional security mm-hmm. to ensure the of their well-being during the off-season because there's some people that choose to to target him and whether they are absolute absolutely psychologically problematic people who need help whether they're just angry angry fans uh, of a driver who didn't benefit from the outcome of this it's just it's very 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 unfortunate and it's also unfortunate that yeah. he had to live through this this period because Obviously, never in a million years did he mean for this to be the outcome. Oh, of course not. Um, yeah. I'm just very happy that he has a ride this year. Um, obviously, his car is going to be that much more competitive. He has another year under his belt. He's partnering with a teammate that he's got a great relationship with. And I'm very excited to see what he can do this year. And I'm also excited because <laughs> it wasn't always a certainty that he's going to be able to race in his home Grand Prix for the first time. So as yes. much as last year was challenging and obviously the offseason was terrible for him, I think he's got a great season ahead of him and, and hopefully he can uh, start scoring points on a fairly consistent basis that we saw he was capable of in parts of last season. I, I'm going to cherry pick uh, one, one of your comments there and uh, you said he's going to be able to race at home in front of his home fans so we're talking about Montreal which hasn't been on the calendar for the past couple of years for obvious reasons uh, you know the pandemic that thing that we've been living through. Anyways, uh, Franz Tost, who's the uh, team principal at AlphaTauri, said that the 23 race calendar for this year is the absolute limit for Formula One. And that that's something that we've uh, debated and kind of tossed back and forth between the two of us, you know, quite a bit over the past uh, year or two, right? It's just like you know, they, they've said that they want to go up to 25 races and, uh, you know, where, where we've been at for the past couple of years, except for the for the, for the the short year that we had, the 17 race season in 2020 at the height of uh, COVID, uh, which was, uh, you know, feat in of, of itself to get 17 races off under those circumstances. But the long-term goal was to, to get more and more races and get up to that basically you're racing half the weekends out of the year but i mean 23 races i mean that's um that's a real stretch as it is i mean where did we end up last year was it 21 22 i've, I've almost lost 22, track now. it was 22 i mean it it seemed like a jam-packed uh, season as it one as it was we're going to throw that uh, extra race in and perhaps you know there, there's still desire from you know somewhere up above that to get a couple more races in there i can I can totally see where where France is coming from. That uh, that that twenty three is the limit. I I don't know how they could squeeze a couple extra races in, regardless.
this if they keep it all uh, geographically convenient and you have these double and triple headers. It just it seems even though in a world where you know logistics and organization is an absolute art and a science in the way that uh, that Formula One is run, it's just, everything has its uh, has its limits. Everything has has its breaking point, and uh, who knows? <laughs> but it's interesting nonetheless. Okay, moving on to the next one. Let's see. Let's go down the list here. Where, where do we go now? Oh, yeah, this is interesting, and this is a little bit surprising, but the Nürburgring and Hockenheim apparently can't meet the, uh, what they call the uh, demands of, um, you know, the, of, uh, of Formula One. And I find that very an interesting admission from two circuits in in a country like Germany that has a very rich history not just with uh, with automobiles but um, you know motorsport and all levels of motorsport I mean and not just uh, for for drivers but manufacturers and all aspects of it that's that that you have two facilities in Hockenheim and the Nürburgring I've been to both they they're they're both fantastic tracks they're better than 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 they were in the day than than I went I mean the you know Hockenheim is completely revamped but this I found found like a rather surprising and somewhat shocking admission. Yeah, absolutely. I think the challenge for these tracks is simply the competition that we now live in a world where there might be 25 or 30 or 40 separate tracks around the world that are jostling to be put on the Formula One calendar. And not only do they have to compete with other tracks, which might have better grandstands and better amenities and better hospitality and might be in more sexy locale, you now compete with tracks that are willing to pay possibly tens of millions of dollars more to host a race. And you think that for a lot of these traditional Western countries, whether it's the UK or Belgium or or the Netherlands or Canada or the US, really the the kind of the peak entry fee or peak sanctioning fee that a lot of these tracks can afford to pay is about 20, 20 to $25 million US. And that's really just based on the tolerance that people have to pay for tickets, right? That mm -hmm. if I'm hosting event at Silverstone or Austin or in Montreal or at Albert Park and in Melbourne, I'm only doing it because I want to be able to break even or make a small profit on the tickets that I sell. And I can only do that if the sanctioning fees 20 or $25 million. The challenge now for somewhere like Hockenheim or Nürburgring is, you know, the amenities aren't as sexy as some of these newer tracks, and we have tracks going up all over the world. And furthermore, they've got to be able to sell tickets to cover the cost of the sanctioning fee. And then all of a sudden, you have somewhere like Qatar that's saying, hey, look, we'll build a brand new track, and here's $50 million to host a race. And if you're Nürburgring or Hockenheim, it suddenly just becomes immeasurably difficult to do that. So I think what's going to be really interesting to see over the next couple of years is the jostling amongst the existing traditional tracks yeah. and other tracks that want to get onto the calendar that maybe aren't necessarily looking at breaking even or making money simply by hosting the event, but rather they use this as an opportunity to market and broadcast and commercialize their city or their country because being on the Formula One calendar gets your country and your city in front of millions of eyeballs. Yeah, well, we talked about it well, it was several weeks ago now when those uh, numbers were released for the race hosting fees, where you look at some of these uh, traditional tracks like the European venues, their their race hosting fees are in the low 20s. I, I can't remember, what was Monaco even lower than 20 million per race? Was it, was it 15? Yeah, historically they paid nothing. Yeah. Until recently they paid nothing. 
Yeah, and then I think that I think the, the the hosting fee that they have is like fifteen million dollars or something, or maybe twenty. Yep. But then you go and look at some of these uh, newer venues, uh, some of these newer racetracks. I think Azerbaijan is pushing like sixty million uh, in in race hosting fees, and uh, it, it's just it, it's it's kind of crazy when you think about it. Just the disparity between. You know the the traditional tracks and the newer ones, like you say, some of them uh, are obviously doing it for for marketing and promotional reasons, right? But and and I see a case for both, right? I I can see why there would be tracks around the world and countries around the world that want to get onto the circus. They want to, and I say circus on purpose, and they want to be part of that and be part of the hype. But you know, there, there there's a place for both. There's a place for the old and the new. I mean. I just can't envision a Formula One that doesn't go to Silverstone, that doesn't go to Spa, that doesn't go to right. uh, to, to to Monza or even to other places like, like Brazil or Suzuka. They, they, you, know, you know, really, really good tracks in in places where we've had races literally forever. But as much as I love tracks like that, part of uh, Formula One for me is is ingenuity. It's new things. It's fresh ideas, and that includes racetracks and going to to different places. And and for me, that's just gotten better over the last uh, couple of years. Uh, and that was you know due totally to the fact that uh, we were in the middle of a pandemic, and they were literally just trying to race and get out there and do some uh, do something. And you had tracks like Imola step up that hadn't been on the circuit in years. And then you had like Mugello and uh, Mugello, pardon me. And then uh, Portimao in Portugal going to all these places that uh, that we'd never been before. Or we hadn't been in years. And I, I think that's really kind of injected a new energy into Formula One. Now we got Miami coming on this year and it really kind of um, really underlined or really I think explained something because it sort of sticks in my mind now the story that came out a couple of years ago when Chase Carey said that there was up to 40 contenders or interested parties globally that wanted to host uh, a Formula One race and I was just like oh yeah really well you know prove it <laughs> you know that's why I'm saying that to, to, to myself I mean slowly but surely we've seen all this interest uh, come around but speaking of interest Formula One confirmed that they had an audience of over 100 million plus for the season finale in uh, in Abu Dhabi uh, last year, peaked at 108 million viewers, or just uh, shy thereof, 107.8 million TV viewers. That's a 29% increase compared to uh, the 2020 uh, race there. And uh, there was a, a total accumulative uh, TV audience of 1.55 billion people. And it was a 4% overall increase from 2020. And the average audience per Grand Prix was 70.3 million viewers. So that's uh, interesting. So also uh, there were several markets uh, that uh, really grew with a year-on-year increase of 81% in the Netherlands. Obviously, uh, the, the max effect is a, it's a real thing in uh, Holland. And then uh, 58% growth in uh, the USA, which is that those, you know, as impressive as it is to see 81% uh, growth and in interest in Holland, that's a small country, 60 million people, still nothing to turn your nose up at, but 58% uh, increase in the, in the audience in a country of 350 million people like you have in the USA, that's a big, big number. And that's a lot of people that are now putting their eyes on Formula One. What it also reinforces is how intense the interest in Formula One can be if you have a competitive championship, right? We did not see this level of interest in 
15, 17, 18, 19, 20. But when you have a championship that can be so tight, so competitive and go down to the wire, this is the outcome. This is the knock-on effect, the byproduct. So when Formula One talks about creating competitive parity and re-engineering the formula of F1 to make passing more possible and to create more balance when it comes to competition and open up the championship. This is why, because it stimulates interest. If you have a single team or a single driver, no matter who that individual, who that team might be, it doesn't create a compelling TV product. So this is absolutely an immeasurable, immeasurable, I would say, uh, byproduct of what we saw last year with the, with the championship. And hopefully Sports going to be able to sustain this. And it also, and it's interesting as well, because I've been of the mind that over the course of the last couple of years, that the vast majority of the newfound interest in Formula One has been, it's been in the US for sure, but rather that what we were seeing was interest in Formula One, not increasing, but rather recovering that Formula One really saw a peak of interest in 07, 08, 09, 10, mm-hmm. and that the peak in the interest really died off during the during the Sebastian Vettel and much of the Lewis Hamilton period simply because of the lack of competitive parity and that that interest that we saw globally last year wasn't necessarily new, but rather it was recovering from a decade long dip due to the lack of competitive parity. But now I think we're in a good place and hopefully the new formula is going to continue to create this competitive parity that opens up the championship and gives more than one or two teams the opportunity to score race wins on any given Grand Prix weekend. Well, we'll find out in a couple of weeks uh, whether or not uh, this is actually going to be a thing or, uh, well, <laughs> we, we can go down the rabbit hole of uh, great ideas that Formula One had to increase parity that uh, turned out to be uh, not, not that great in reality, but hopefully that's uh, not something that we're, <laughs> we're lamenting about uh, a couple of weeks from now. Next story is uh, going back to Williams. They've signed a deal with uh, Duracell uh, for a sponsorship uh, deal. So that's uh, that's a good one. Kind of makes me wonder if we're going to see the Energizer Bunny in uh, in Formula One or if the poor old uh, Energizer Bunny is just uh, going to live out his days on the Spokes Bunny retirement home. Uh, Talking about retirement homes here, uh, Jacques Villeneuve is going to enter the Daytona 500 14 years after the last time he uh, tried it. So that's... uh, He qualified. Yeah. I don't know. Did you see that? He qualified. Incredible. Yeah. Good for Jacques. Good for Jacques. I mean, he. I I have told you this story how I I, I ran literally, well, I didn't let literally run into Jacques Villeneuve, but uh, in uh, the interior of uh, BC, there's a small resort town uh, by the name (laughs) of the Soyuz, and uh, there's a a resort there um, where there's a hotel, golf course, and we, we go and visit there every once in a while. Anyways, we were there. This is, oh, probably eight or nine, ten years ago, maybe even a little bit longer. Uh, but uh, we were there, and uh, we were just walking back to the car, and I see these two guys standing out to the by, by the front entrance uh, to the hotel. And the one guy is a really, really big, you know, bulky, very well-built guy. You can just tell that this guy is or was an athlete. And I take a look and I realize, oh, that's Gino Ojik. And if you're a a fan of the Vancouver Canucks or NHL, Gino, former NHL player, he was a legend for the Vancouver. He's a cult figure with the Canucks fans. Anyways, he's standing beside the somewhat diminutive uh, shorter fellow. And I take a look and I'm just like, well, if this isn't the original odd couple, because it takes a second to process, it's Gino Ojik talking to Jacques Villeneuve, you know, 1997 Formula One World Champion. 
Anyways, uh, Jacques was up there and uh, he did uh, design. There's a, a private track uh, nearby in Oliver, which is the next uh, town up. I think it's called Area 27 or something like that. Anyways, Jacques was involved. And I don't know if he's an investor or shareholder in that uh, resort. Anyways, that's kind of cool. But uh, good for Jacques to qualify for the Daytona 500. And oh, let's uh, see here. So Formula 2 driver Jack Dewan uh, finished uh, second in uh, an F2 last year. And it seems like he is, well, had a big, bright future with Red Bull, but apparently not. And this kind of goes back to something we've speculated about, uh, just that pipeline within Red Bull and their whole uh, Driver Academy system, because Jack is a jump ship and he's actually switched over to the Alpine Academy. What's your thought on that, on uh, a hot young prospect like uh, Jack Dewan? I think that's a real great pickup for Alpine. What a great weekend for Alpine. Yeah, you pick no up kidding, a hot right? new talent yeah. to, to stash away in your academy, and you pick up a fantastic new t- team principal in Otmar Snathauer. Yeah. I think this is a great pickup. It probably also speaks to the glut of talent in the Red Bull Academy, which is possibly one of the richest in all of, all of professional motorsport. But I think it's a really great pickup for, for Alpine. Yeah, and then also uh, talking about uh, their rivals down the uh, the, the pit, uh, pit lane, Mercedes has announced seven drivers that will be part of its junior program in 2022. This includes uh, Frederica Vesti and Luna Fluxa, and uh, Fluxa is the first female driver to be admitted to that Mercedes uh, program. So that's awesome. uh, exciting and, and great to, to see as well. And, you know, I mean, especially in a top tier, top notch uh, program uh, like uh, Mercedes. So it's exciting. And in this day and age, I mean, the, the, the fact that we literally have so much information literally right at our fingertips on our phones, it's so much easier to to, to get to follow these uh, other racing series and get to know some of these drivers. I mean, it's not really all that long ago that if you weren't in Formula One and directly in one of these teams as say a reserve driver, it's like nobody had no idea who you were. But I mean, it, it's more exciting now that we can see these young drivers coming along and uh, and filtering into some of these uh, different teams. So uh, really, really Luna, cool by the way, yeah. and I went down the rabbit hole of of Googling and learning all about her is apparently a monster monster talent and she comes from spain which is a country that does a phenomenal job of developing world-class MotoGP riders sure they've obviously developed some really strong formula one drivers fernando alonso being one of them carlos Sainz being another but she by all accounts is an absolute superstar so somebody to somebody to look to in the the course of the next couple of years as she concludes her karting championship and starts to enter the lower formulas yeah that's it's really really cool uh, to, to see and uh, we'll have to take a look at some of these I mean we should start delving into some of these uh, other drivers that are starting to break into the fringes of uh, Formula One one way or another so before we wrap it up just want to give a shout out uh, to everybody in the live stream Steve, Rocky, Andy uh, Charlie's in there. Connie was in there as well. Great to see everybody uh, showing up. And, and you were shaming Charlie for showing up late, and then Charlie making the profound con- uh, you know comment that time is nothing but a construct. It's like. I don't even know what to, to to do with that. It's way too late in the evening to even break into some sort of <laughs> difficult, uh, you know, discussion like that. So I'm just going to say that uh, you you tried to shame Charlie and uh, he shut you down, man. So, anyways, oh, 
He's a smart kid. What can I say? And Micah, <laughs> Micah also joined the chat. So oh, cool. to everybody tonight that joined the Spaces awesome. chat, thank you. We had a we had a really great turnout. And as always, it was inclusive, fun, light, and respectful. I think nice. that's one of the things that makes those chats so great. And to everybody that joined the live stream tonight, thank you. This is something we want to start promoting and we want to do some more visual things to make the to make the live stream a little bit more stimulating and a little bit more professional. So we've got some ideas. We're also going to experiment one week with doing a live stream earlier in the evening to help make it a little bit more accessible to those of you in the East. Probably not something we can do on a kind of a long-term basis, but we want to kind of give it a try just to sure. see what that would do. Um, but uh, yeah, once again, thank you to everybody that joined us. We are now just because I believe, thanks to Peter, who let us know during the spaces tonight that the Mercedes launch is at, I believe, 1 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 4 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So just two hours and 15 minutes away from now, we'll get our first looks well, at the newest hey, Mercedes. You, you and I can fill up two hours, no problem. So, you know, you just take well, it for a couple minutes. I'll go throw on a pot of coffee here. <laughs> Let's just ride this thing out. No, I'm just kidding. We wouldn't subject everybody to that, but uh, I'm sure somebody would probably. Uh, <laughs> well, actually, Charlie just said in live chat that he's going to stay up for the Mercedes launch. So there you go. At least one person is uh, is going to stay up uh, for it. And, you know, considering it's uh, it's almost 11 p.m. here on the, uh, on the West Coast, I, I think I'll probably uh, stay up after I get this thing processed and, and, and posted just to check it out for for myself. So, oh, Connie's uh, Connie's going to stay up and watch it as well. So there's there's no lack of interest for the Mercedes launch in the community. So, you know, you know, we, we should watch out if we threaten to go for another two hours. Uh, they, they might expect it. So let 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 Mark let's get out while the going's good. So one a.m. <laughs> spaces time. I'm calling it now. There you <laughs> there you go. Don't do it because that will become a thing as well. So, anyways, oh jeez, guys, thank you so much uh, for uh, for joining in tonight. Uh, thank you so so much for either joining us on the live chat or the live stream i should say join us uh, in spaces or if you're listening on the podcast or on youtube we appreciate the support and enjoy interacting with one and all of you so that's it on behalf of myself and mr hamilton uh, thank you for your time this week uh, enjoy your weekend if you want to get in touch by all means uh, send us an email scooteryf1pod at gmail.com mailbag's been a little bit quiet lately but that'll pick up uh, pretty quick and then also um, join us on Twitter at ScooteryF1Pod. And that's it. That's a wrap. Have a great night. Have a great weekend. Talk to you guys again soon. Bye for now.